Section 1 of Library of the World's Best Literature Ancient and Modern Volume 6 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Jyoti Taravanath library of the world's best literature ancient and modern volume six by various authors section one the abbe du Brantôme, pierre de baudet fifteen twenty seven sixteen fourteen early historian of the valois period he is indebted to Brantôme for preserving the atmosphere and detail of the brilliant life in which he moved as a dashing courtier a military adventurer and a gallant gentleman of high degree he was not a professional scribe nor a student but he took notes unconsciously and in the evening of his life turned back the pages of his memory to record the scenes through which he had passed and the characters which he had known he has been termed the valley du chambre of history nevertheless the anecdotes scattered through his works will ever be treasured by all students and historians of that age of luxury and magnificence art and beauty beneath which lay the fermentation of great religious and political movements culminating in the struggle between the huguenots and catholics Brantome was the third son of the Vicomte de Bordet, a Perigord nobleman, whose family had lived long in Guyenne, and whose aristocratic lineage was lost in myth. Upon the estate stood the Abbey of Brantome, founded by Charlemagne, and this Henry the Second gave to young Pierre de Bordet in recognition of the military deeds of his brother jean de baudet who lost his life in service thereafter the lad was to sign his name as the reverend father in god monsieur pierre de baudet abbe de brantome born in the old chateau in fifteen twenty seven he was destined for the church but abandoned this career for arms at an early age he was sent to court as page to marguerite sister of francis i and queen of navarre after her death in fifteen forty nine he went to paris to study at the university his title of abbe being merely honorary he served in the army under francois de guise duke of lorraine and became gentleman of the chamber to charles the ninth his career extended through the reigns of Henry the Second, Francis the Second, Charles the Ninth, Henry the Third, and Henry the Fourth, to that of Louis the Thirteenth, with the exception of diplomatic missions, service on the battlefield, and voyages for pleasure. He spent his life at court. About fifteen ninety four, he retired to his estate where until his death on july fifteenth sixteen fourteen he passed his days in contentions with the monks of the brantome in lawsuits with his neighbours 
and in writing his books lives of the illustrious men and great captains of france lives of illustrious ladies lives of women of gallantry memoir containing anecdotes connected with the court of france spanish rodomonteles a life of his father franco de bordeaux a funeral oration on a sister-in-law and a dialogue in verse entitled the tomb of madame de bordeaux these were not published until long after his death first appearing in leyden about sixteen sixty five at the hague in seventeen forty and in paris in seventeen eighty seven the best editions are by Foucault, seven volumes paris eighteen twenty two by lacroix and merem three volumes eighteen fifty nine and lalande ten volumes eighteen sixty five eighty one what Brantome thought of himself may be seen by glancing at that portion of the testament mystique which relates to his writings i will and expressly charged my heirs that they cause to be printed the books which i have composed by my talent and invention these books will be found covered with velvet either black green or blue and one larger volume which is that of the rhodomontades covered with velvet gilt outside and curiously bound all have been carefully corrected there will be found in these books excellent things such as stories histories discourses and witty sayings which i flatter myself the world will not disdain to read when once it has had a sight of them i direct that a sum of money be taken from my estate sufficient to pay for the printing thereof which certainly cannot be much for i have known many printers who would have given money rather than charged any for the right of printing them they print many things without charge which are not at all equal to mine i will also that the said impression shall be in large type in order to make the better appearance and that they should appear with the royal privilege which the king will readily grant also care must be taken that the printers do not put on the title page any supposititious name instead of mine otherwise i should be defrauded of the glory which is my due the old man delighted in complimenting himself when talking about his grandeur dame this greatness of soul may be measured from the command he gave his heirs to annoy a man who had refused to swear homage to him it not being reasonable to leave at rest this little wretch who descends from a low family and whose grandfather was nothing but a notary he also commands his nieces and nephews to take the same vengeance upon his enemies as i should have done in my green and vigorous youth during which i may boast and i thank god for it 
that I never received an injury without being revenged on the author of it. Brantham writes like a gentleman of the sword, with dash and elan, and as one to use his own words, who has been trujo trotan traversan e vagabandan munda, always trotting, traversing, and tramping the world. Not in the habit of a vagabond, however, for the balls, banquet, tournaments, masks, ballet, and wedding feasts, which he describes so vividly, were occasions for the display of sumptuous costumes, and Monsieur Pierre du Bourdoyer doubtless appeared as elegant as any other gallant in silken hose, jeweled doublet, flowing cape, and long rapier. What we value most are his paintings of these festive scenes, and the vivid portraits which he has left of the Valois women who were largely responsible for the luxuries and the crimes of the period, women who could step without a tremor from a court mask into a massacre, who could toy with the gallant's ribbons and direct the blow of an assassin, and who could poison a rival with a delicately perfumed gift. Such a court, Brantome calls the true paradise of the world, school of all honesty and virtue, ornament of France. We like to hear about Catherine de Medici riding with her famous squadron of Venus. You should have seen forty or fifty dames and damsels following her, mounted on beautifully accoutred hackneys, their hats adorned with feathers, which increased their charm. So well did the flying plumes represent the demand for love or war. Virgil, who undertook to describe the fine apparel of Queen Dida when she went out hunting, has by no means equalled that of her queen and her ladies. Charming, too, or such descriptions as the most beautiful valley that ever was, composed of sixteen of the fairest and best-trained dames and damsels, who appeared in a silver rock, where they were seated in niches, shut in on every side. The sixteen ladies represented the sixteen provinces of France. After having made the round of the hall, for parade as in a camp, they all descended, and ranging themselves as in the form of a little oddly contrived battalion, some thirty violins began a very pleasant warlike air to which they danced their ballet after an hour the ladies presented the king the queen mother and others with golden plucks on which were engraved the fruits and singularities of each province the wheat of champagne the wines of burgundy the lemons and oranges of province, etc. He shows us Catherine de Medici, the elegant, cunning Florentine, her beautiful daughters, Elizabeth of Spain, and Marguerite de Valleve, Diana of Poitiers, the woman of eternal youth and beauty, Jean d'Albarry, the mother of Henry the Fourth, Louis de Verdemont, the Duchess de Tempe Marie Truchet, and all their satellites, as they enjoyed their lives. 
very valuable are the data regarding Mary Stuart's departure from France in 1561. Brantome was one of her suit, and describes her grief when the shores of France faded away, and her arrival in Scotland, where on the first night she was serenaded by psalm tunes with the most villainous accompaniment of Scottish music. Equilla music, he exclaims, Equilla ripor pole noi. But of all the gay ladies Brantholm loves to dwell upon, his favourites are the two Margaritis, Marguerite of Anguille, Queen of Navarre, the sister of Francis I, and Marguerite, daughter of Catherine de Medici, and wife of Henry IV, of the latter, called familiarly La Reine Margot, he is always writing, to speak of the beauty of this rare princess, he says, I think that all that are, or will be, or have ever been near her, are ugly. Brantome has been a puzzle to many critics, who cannot explain his contradictions. He had none. He extolled wicked and immoral characters because he recognized only two merits, aristocratic birth and hatred of the Huguenots. He is well described by M. de Baron, who says, Brantome expresses the entire character of his country and of his profession. Careless of the difference between good and evil, a courtier who has no idea that anything can be blameworthy in the great, but who sees and narrates their vices and their crimes all the more frankly in that he is not very sure whether what he tells be good or bad, as indifferent to the honour of women as he is to the morality of men, relating scandalous things, with no consciousness that they are such, and almost leading his reader into accepting them as the simplest things in the world. So little importance does he attach to them, terming Louis the Eleventh, who poisoned his brother, the good King Louis calling women whose adventures could hardly have been written by any pen save his own, or no dimes. Brantilme must therefore not be regarded as a chronicler who revels in scandals, although his pages reek with them, but as a true mirror of the Valois court and the Valois period. The Dancing of Royalty From Lives of Notable Women Ah, how the times have changed, since I saw them together in the ballroom, expressing the very spirit of the dance. The king always opened the grand ball by leading out his sister, and each equaled the other, in majesty and grace. I have often seen them dancing the Pabin d'Espagne which must be performed with the utmost majesty and grace. The eyes of the entire court were riveted upon them, ravished by this lovely scene, for the measures were well so well danced, the steps so intelligently placed, the sudden pauses timed so accurately, and making so elegant an effect that one did not know what to admire most, the beautiful manner of moving, or the majesty of the halls, now expressing excessive gaiety, 
now a beautiful and haughty disdain who could dance with such elegance and grace as a royal brother and sister none i believe and i have watched the king dancing with the queen of spain and the queen of scotland each of whom was an excellent dancer i have seen them dance the pazimiso ditelli walking gravely through the measures and directing their steps with so graceful and solemn a manner that no other prince nor lady could approach them in dignity this queen took great pleasure in performing these grave dances for she preferred to exhibit dignified grace rather than to express the gaiety of the brawl the volta and the courant although she acquired them quickly she did not think them worthy of her majesty i always enjoyed seeing her dance the brandulantha aldi fombo once returning from the nuptials of the daughter of the king of poland i saw her dance this kind of brandulant lines before the assembled guests from savoy piedmont italy and other places and everyone said he had never seen any such more captivating than this lovely lady moving with grace of motion and majestic mien all agreeing that she had no need of the flaming torch which she held in her hand for the flashing light from her brilliant eyes was sufficient to illuminate the set and to pierce the dark veil of night the shadow of a tomb from the lives of courtly women once i had an elder brother who was called captain bourdet one of the bravest and most valiant soldiers of his time although he was my brother i must praise him for the record he made in the wars brought him fame he was the gentilhomme de france who stood first in the science and gallantry of arms he was killed during the last siege of hesdin my brother's parents had destined him for the career of letters and accordingly sent him at the age of 18 to study in italy where he settled in ferrara because of madame renée de france duchess of ferrara who ardently loved my mother who enjoyed life at her court and soon fell deeply in love with a young french widow mademoiselle de la roche who was in the suit of madame de ferrara they remained there in the service of love until my father seeing that his son was not following literature ordered him home she who loved him begged him to take her with him to france and to the court of marguerite of navarre whom she had served and who had given her to madame rene when she went to italy upon her marriage my brother who was young was greatly charmed to have her companionship and conducted her to paul the queen was glad to welcome her for the young widow was handsome and accomplished and indeed considered superior in a spirit to other ladies of the court after remaining a few days with my mother and grandmother who were there my brother visited his father in a short time he declared that he was disgusted with letters and joined the army serving in the wars of piedmont and parma where he acquired much honor in the space of five or six months during which time he did not revisit his home 
at the end of this period he went to see his mother at Pau. he made his reverence to the queen of navarre as she returned from vespers and she who was the best princess in the world received him cordially and taking his hand led him about the church for an hour or two she demanded news regarding the wars of piedmont and italy and many other particulars to which my brother replied so well that she was greatly pleased with him he was a very handsome young man of twenty-four years after talking gravely and engaging him in earnest conversation walking up and down the church she directed her steps toward the tomb of mademoiselle de la roche who had been dead for three months she stopped here and again took his hand saying my cousin thus addressing him because a daughter of dalbert was married into our family of baudet but of this i do not boast for it has not helped me particularly do you not feel something move below your feet no madame he replied but reflect again my cousin she insisted my brother answered madame i feel nothing move i stand upon a solid stone then i will explain said the queen without keeping you longer in suspense that you stand upon the tomb and over the body of your poor dearly loved mademoiselle de la roche who is interred here and that our friends may have sentiment for us at our death render a pious homage here you cannot doubt that the gentle creature dying so recently must have been affected when you approached in remembrance i beg you to say a paternoster and an ave maria and a deep profundus and sprinkle holy water thus you will win the name of a very faithful lover and a good christian m constable de monorosi from lives of distinguished men and great captains he never failed to say and keep up his patronosters every morning whether he remained in the house or mounted his horse and went out to the field to join the army it was a common saying among the soldiers that one must beware the paternosters of the constable for as disorders were very frequent he would say while mumbling and muttering his paternosters all the time go and fetch that fellow and hang me him up to the street out with a file of arquebusiers here before me this instant for the execution of this man burn me this village instantly cut me to pieces at once all these villain peasants who have dared to hold this church against the king all this without ever ceasing from his paternosters till he had finished them thinking that he would have done very wrong to put them off to another time so conscientious was he two famous entertainments from lives of courtly women i have read in a spanish book called el voyage del principe the voyage of the prince made by the king of spain 
in the pace bars in the time of the emperor charles his father about the wonderful entertainments given in the rich cities the most famous was that of the queen of hungary in the lovely town of baines which passed into a proverb mars bravas culas frestas de baines more magnificent than the festivals of baines among the displays which were seen during the siege of the counterfeit castle she ordered for one day a fete in honour of the emperor her brother queen eleanor her sister and the gentlemen and ladies of the court toward the end of the feast a lady appeared with six reed nymphs dressed as huntresses in classic costumes of silver and green glittering with jewels to imitate the light of the moon each one carried a bow and arrows in her hand and wore a quiver on her shoulder their buskins were of cloth of silver they entered the hall leading their dogs after them and placed on the table in front of the emperor all kinds of venison pasties supposed to have been the spoils of the chase after them came the goddess of shepherds and her six nymphs dressed in cloth of silver garnished with pearls they wore knee breeches beneath their flowing robes and white pumps and brought in various products of the dairy then entered the third division pomana and her nymphs bearing fruit of all descriptions this goddess was the daughter of donna beatrix pacchia countess of dutrema lady-in-waiting to queen eleanor and was but nine years old she was now madame l'admiral de chestion whom the admiral married for his second wife approaching with her companions she presented her gifts to the emperor with an eloquent speech delivered so beautifully that she received the admiration of the entire assembly and all predicted that she would become a beautiful charming graceful and captivating lady she was dressed in cloth of silver and white with white buskins and a profusion of precious stones emeralds coloured like some of the fruit she bore after making these presentations she gave the emperor a palm of victory made of green enamel the fronds tipped with pearls and jewels this was very rich and gorgeous to queen eleanor she gave a fan containing a mirror set with gems of great value indeed the queen of hungary showed that she was a very excellent lady and the emperor was proud of a sister worthy of himself all the young ladies who impersonated these mythical characters were selected from the suits of france hungary and madame de lorraine and were therefore french italian flemish german and of lorraine none of them lacked beauty at the same time that these fetes were taking place at baines henry the second made his entree 
in Piedmont and at his garrisons in Lyons, where were assembled the most brilliant of his courtiers and court ladies. If the representation of Diana and her chase given by the Queen of Hungary was found beautiful, the one at Lyons was more beautiful and complete. As the king entered the city, he saw obelisks of antiquity to the right and left, and a wall of six feet was constructed along the road to the courtyard, which was filled with underbrush and planted thickly with trees and shrubbery. In this miniature forest were hidden deer and other animals. As soon as his majesty appeared, to the sound of horns and trumpets, Diana issued forth with her companions, dressed in the fashion of a classic nymph, with her quiver at her side and a bow in her hand. Her figure was draped in black and gold sprinkled with silver stars. The sleeves were of crimson satin bordered with gold, and the garment looped up above the knee revealed her buskins of crimson satin covered with pearls and embroidery. Her hair was entwined with magnificent strings of rich pearls and gems of much value, and above her brow was placed a crescent of silver surrounded by little diamonds gold could never have suggested half so well as the shining silver the white light of the real crescent her companions were attired in classic costumes made of taffetas of various colours shot with gold and their ringlets were adorned with all kinds of glittering gems other nymphs carried darts of brazil wood tipped with black and white tassels and carried horns and trumpets suspended by ribbons of white and black when the king appeared a lion which had long been under training ran from the wood and lay at the feet of the goddess who bound him with a leash of white and black and led him to the king accompanying her action with a poem of ten verses, which she delivered most beautifully. Like the lion, so ran the lines, the city of lions lay at his majesty's feet, gentle, gracious, and obedient to his command. This spoken, Diana and her nymphs made low bows and retired. Note that Diana and her companions were married women, widows and young girls taken from the best society in Lyons, and there was no fault to be found with the way they performed their parts. The king, the princess, and the ladies and gentlemen of the court were ravished. Madame du Volantineva called Diana of Poitiers whom the king served, and in whose name the mock chase was arranged, was not less content. End of section 1 Recording by Jyoti Taravanath